listeners, this is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is Cup Talk for Friday, June 29th, 2018. On today's show, I speak with Christopher Critty Smith of the Kings of Europe podcast. We discuss the greatest group stage in the history of the World Cup, and we preview the round of 16. Make sure to follow PSG Talk on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Subscribe to the podcasts to get all of our content. And we will bring you the show right after the music. So stay tuned, everybody. Chris, how are we doing on this fine morning? Oh, doing great, Mark. Uh, Nice, sunny uh, South Carolina here, got some good weather, and uh, hopefully we can uh, avoid some thunderstorms, but other than that, doing fantastic, my friend. First day without the World Cup in two weeks. What are we going to do with ourselves besides record a podcast? Uh, well, I won't be streaming at work, so I'm sure they'll appreciate that. <laughs> yes, work productivity, that that should be going up, hopefully. Um, before we get started, just introduce yourself uh, to the listeners and talk about uh, your Kings of Europe podcast. Absolutely. Uh, well, I uh, am at Curdy Smith on Twitter. Uh, it's uh, C-R-I-T-T-Y-S-M-I-T-H. I am the host of the uh, Kings of Europe podcast. And, uh, you know, as um, we talk normally about the top five leagues in European uh, football, which uh, obviously includes uh, someone near and dear to your heart, that being PSG. So we talk about Liga, and we talk about the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, and the Bundesliga. Uh, as it's come to the summer, we obviously have been talking heavily about the World Cup. We just recorded our uh, latest episode last night, and it's uh, it's on the uh, on the interwebs at this point. Uh, you can actually go to Twitter at Kings of EUR. That's uh, the Twitter handle, and you just uh, we're we're also partner partner uh, podcast uh, with uh, the Four Network, which is Fields of Anfield Road, Liverpool site. So that's uh, www.foursite.com. And, uh, yeah, so we basically covered the round of 16, talked a little bit about the German uh, collapse, uh, Lewandowski's failures uh, very briefly, and, of course, this FIFA Fair Play stuff. So, um, yeah, and you've been a guest on that show as well. Uh, we definitely love talking to you about uh, Paris Saint-Germain, and that was a, uh, a one of my favorite episodes, actually, because we there aren't many times you get to talk about French football except the really the top four. So it was really nice having you on and getting an uh, inside look on what's going on in France these days. Yeah, and I appreciate you guys having me on. And um, I, I will say, um, we all have busy schedules. So again, thank you for coming on to my show. And um, let's get let, let's get started with your overall view of this group stage. Now, a lot of people have been calling it the greatest group stage ever. Now, whether you judge that by uh, the level of play or the excitement or the upsets, however you judge that is kind of up to the uh, it's up to the beholder. So, according to you, is this the greatest group stage ever, or at least the greatest group stage that you've ever seen, and why? Um, as a, as as someone who grew up in Germany, you know, it's not. <laughs> It's not the greatest group stage of all time. Uh, that would be uh, 2014 when they drilled Portugal 4-0 out the gates. Um, no, I mean, it's competitive. I think I saw one of the greatest group stage matches in history between Portugal and Spain. That was uh, right there, front and center on day two. So that was uh, that was some fantastic stuff. Uh, seeing England have the, uh, the, the, the goal fest against Panama, uh, albeit Panama, it was, it was just an entertaining match because you, it was... So much scoring, so much potential for any English pass to go into the back of the net. Uh, 
Belgium was exciting against the, uh, uh, I think it was Panama as well. They scored five on. I think it was five two. Was that was that Panama that they scored five five against? No, they won so. three yeah. no against Everyone Panama. scored against Panama. Yes, they did. Uh, the second game for Belgium, which would have been Tunisia, they scored five two. So, yeah. I, you know, it's been entertaining. Uh, Argentina being on the brink of elimination, being in fourth place for most of Tuesday morning, our time Tuesday morning. That was interesting. Uh, Victor Moses with the equalizer. And then the drama that ensued, will they or will they not? Messi is not the hero of Argentina. It's Marcus Rojo. So uh, that was that was a storyline in and of itself. And I think that looking at, if you look at the body language of the uh, Argentine manager, he's just happy to have a job. He's basically looking for his stars to save him because there's nothing he can do. I, 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 I just he this guy, um, yeah. I don't know much about him, but it just looked like he was completely – Helpless on the pit, on the touchline, relying on his stars Aguero, uh, Higuain, Messi to to please save my job. Please, I I don't want this embarrassment of going out in the group stage. Uh, so Argentina advances. Obviously, there was a little bit of drama with Spain and Portugal. Uh, Morocco and Iran gave them all that they could ask for on the final day of the group stage. So yeah, I mean, it's it's been competitive. I think the the the, the fact that Germany, obviously defending champions, but well, we'll this is kind of that. becoming a we'll trend with Italy and Spain also having done the same thing that Germany just did. Yes. Um, before we kind of get into Germany, because I want to touch on that, um, I, I kind of had a theory that maybe not teams 32 through 26, but teams 26 through 7 in these World Cups are more... Um, they're, they're closer to those top teams than they've ever been. Not to say that they're uh-huh. equal or anything, but it just seems like you look at, you look at Mexico, you look at Sweden, you look at Switzerland, those sort of middle of the road World Cup teams. They seem to be more talented than they've been. They seem better organized. They seem to have strategies and plans. And I just kind of wanted to get your thought on if you've seen sort of an increase in the, the quality of play that in these group stages that maybe we haven't seen in previous World Cups. Yeah, and that's the thing is I see a lot more parity in this World Cup than I ever have before. You're absolutely right. Obviously, Panama, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, those those teams are going to go out. They're not they're not expected to contend. But like Switzerland, we talk about Switzerland every World Cup. This has been a top five ranked team since 2014. This was a top five ranked team. I believe they were either five or six in 2014. I believe they're ranked number five or six right now as we speak based on the FIFA rankings. I'm not surprised at all that they drew Brazil 1-1. Not in the slightest. Switzerland has uh, numerous players playing abroad, uh, Premier League players, Bundesliga players. This is a a team loaded with uh, uh, top European first-tier football talent. So Sweden, same way. Emil Forsberg is a fantastic player, played Champions League last season for RB Leipzig. He you know, is is the, the, the driving force for that team, a uh, team that finished in the top third of the Bundesliga yet again. There's there's all these players for these teams, as you said, uh, kind of uh, between seven and twenty six. They they have these players are getting a lot more top tier football experience, and the, the the gap is closing on who is elite and who's not. And it goes to show you, just like the Mexico Germany game, that Mexico. They, they're not a nameless bunch of players anymore. They have players out there like, uh, Fabian, uh, Chicharito, obviously, that, you know, have played in the Bundesliga, have played in the Champions League and play, uh, you know, Chicharito now at West Ham. But, um, yeah, 
they're they're playing against other great players every single week in their own domestic leagues. All right. Yes, and I I will say that once UA once FIFA decides to make the tournament forty eight teams, this whole conversation uh, will kind of become moot because there'll be a whole bunch of really really awful football at the beginning of World Cup. So enjoy uh, the thirty two team tournament while you can, folks. Um, yep. Germany. Besides, yep. I guess we'll give them about a half in that second game. This is. You, and it's not even really disputable. It's the worst German performance in a World Cup uh-huh. in history. Uh-huh. And I think there's a lot of moving parts to this. I, I think some of the German players are sort of um, talking about... I, I heard it a little bit in the media, them talking about sort of a lack of spark, a lack of energy, maybe the sort of um, pressure of trying to repeat what they did in 2014. I kind of don't buy that because, I mean, if you can't get up for the World Cup, what can you sort of get up for as a fo- as a footballer? I think this was more, for me, they missed that um, they missed that identity that the German teams have always had. And we talk about the Germans and we talk about efficiency of play and discipline, and you saw none of that. They didn't have a striker like a Miroslav Klose who could occupy defenders in the middle and open up space in behind with uh, by getting higher up the pitch, helping in the link-up. Timo Werner and um, Mario Gomez weren't good enough in this World Cup, and it was the concern I had at the beginning, and it sort of came true. I picked them to win, but that's more in name rather than sort of what I was actually seeing. And their, their midfield and attacking midfield players, to me, just seems too similar. Like Ozil, Draxler, there was a lot of redundancy in what they were trying to do, a lot of passing. They actually led the group stage in um, number of attacks, which I don't know what that stat really matters, but it's a stat that they led. Uh, Tony Kroos had 310 completed passes. I don't think any of them were in any way effective, but he had 310 pass completions. And... For some reason, Germany decided to play this high line that they were just getting killed on, and they never really adjusted to it. Jerome Boateng was essentially playing like David Luiz out there, bombing up the field, looking to put crosses into the box. He got sent off in the second game with a with a second yellow. He did not play in the third game. Even without him, they were not good defensively in that third game either. And... I, it's surprising, but I, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on if you kind of agree with my premise and what you think is sort of next for Germany after such an embarrassment. Um, yeah, the, a lot of what you said is true. There was, first of all, I believe a lack of leadership that they had from Philipp Lahm and Boston Schweinsteiger going back to 2014. There's, there's no... There's no actual, quote-unquote, field general out there with them on the pitch. You know, Thomas Miller yells at his teammates a lot, but I don't think that he commands the same amount of respect as Schweinsteiger and Lom did, who have been playing with the national team since the early 2000s. That's one thing. The second thing is, as you said, so much similarity in midfield. I, Mesut Ozil, to me, 
has long since outworn his welcome in this team, and they've finally benched him in the Sweden game for the first time in over 20 matches. Uh, he seems so, I, I don't know, for bad, like a better term, just lackadaisical. Like, he doesn't care, and like, he's clueless, and there's no emotion, there's no sense of urgency. He was the one player, mind you, that in the 7-1 win over Brazil got yelled at by Manuel Neuer for letting up his guard. Uh, if I recall correctly, I believe he was partially responsible for the one goal that Brazil did score in that humiliating defeat because he let off his guy or lost his marker or something. I'd have to go back and look, but I remember distinctly Manuel Neuer chewing, uh, Mesut Ozil out over his, over his lack of, uh, of, of consistency over the 90 minutes. He, he lives off of his name at Arsenal. And he is one of Joachim Löw's favorites. That's another thing that we'll get to real quick. Joachim Löw has a favoritism complex where he takes, you know, certain players that he likes, maybe personally, uh, maybe they, um, you know, run errands for him. I don't know what it is, but they, they, he, 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 there's something about them that he likes and it's, it's, and it's disregarding performance on the pitch. Because I believe if you look at the 2017-18 season, you'll, you'll be hard pressed to find someone outside of maybe Kevin De Bruyne that was as dynamic as Leroy Sané in the Premier League, yet Sané was left at home. I think he could have made a world of difference playing on the wing for Germany because he can not only create, but he can also, for other players, he can also create his own scoring chances. And that was something that Germany severely lacked. Once they got into the final third, they were completely clueless. It looked like Borussia Dortmund 2.0. I thought Peter Bosch had morphed into the body of Joachim Löw because of the high line, the consistent being caught off guard on the counterattack, and the lack of knowing what to do with the ball once in the opposition's final third. Mindless cross after mindless cross after mindless cross with no real intent to do anything with it. Yeah, maybe you score a header, maybe you did. Even Marco Royce, his goal, it was, it was, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of, um, short right in front of the goal off the, off the side of the foot and then Tony Kroos with the free kick. What, what chance conversion did Germany have in this World Cup that, that, that was, that was worth any kind of highlight whatsoever. They, 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 yeah, you're right. They, they led in attacks. They also had 26 shots against, uh, South Korea, of which none went in. So, you know, it reminds me a lot in the attack of Bayern Munich when they play against these strong Spanish sides. They, they control possession, but they never ever get the result. They lose to Barcelona. They lose to Atletico. They lose to Real Madrid. Same thing with Germany in this one. They just could not seemingly get the ball in the back of the net. And that's what counts the most. And it seems like I, I can't imagine Joachim Lowe staying. I, I just, you know, there's nowhere to really go but down. I, I'm not sure he can sort of recapture the magic. Who would, just a short list of who you think should be uh, Germany's next head coach. Wow, that's such a tough question because I've maintained that he should stay. Um, I hadn't really thought about a replacement. My My philosophy is that... He's been the manager since he took over for Klinsmann in 2006, and he has, up until this point, never failed to at least qualify for a semifinal in any tournament that he's managed as the Germany gapper. So, this, this, everyone gets a, a, a mulligan. Everyone gets a second chance. You're 12 years in before you really had a, a, a failure in a major tournament. So, I, I can't, I can't see letting him go. He just extended his contract through 2022, which takes him through the uh, Qatari World Cup. And I don't believe that, that you pull the plug on someone with such an amazing resume just because of three matches. Now, 
10, 10, 10 wins, no draws, no losses in the qualifications for the World Cup. Everything's been flawless, really, from 2006 up until now. Uh, a World Cup, Confederations Cup with the B team last season. I'm also a firm believer in if you are the one that built something and it went into rubble, you are the person who is best suited to build it back up from the ashes. So my replacement for Yogi Löw right now is Yogi Löw. I think that he should stay on and go through European quali- European Championship qualifications. And based on what he does in 2020 is where I, w- I would make a, a decision. I have no one right now to replace him as a German national team manager. Well, And you could also say it, there's a difference between whether Germany wants to keep him and whether he wants to stay. Sure. And I was more thinking along the lines, I think Germany, if they had their way, would give him uh, the 2020 European Championships. Yes. But it's really up to Joachim Lowe if he wants to keep going and if he feels like he can kind of rebuild the team in the way he wants to build it. So, in theory, if he does, if he decided to step down, I guess I guess you'd have to have sort of a stopgap guy, but I think down the line there are people that could take that job, maybe 2020, 2022. But let's, let's move off of that. And let me ask you, is there anything else you want to point out from the group stages that you'd like to sort of discuss before we go into the round of 16? Uh, well, uh, Brazil didn't look. Oh, there's not. There's the one thing that stands out to me is there's there is no dominant team. That's the one thing that stands out. I truly believe that this is anyone's World Cup. If you look back at 2012, uh, 20, 2014, there was a certain amount of teams you knew these are going to be in the semifinals. You looked at Holland. You looked at Germany. You looked at wow. Going back to Holland, what, 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 I cannot believe we're not talking about a World Cup with them in it. Anyways, I digress. Go back to 2010, Spain, all day Spain. Germany looked good in 2010. Uh, again, uh, you, you had going back to 2006, you know, Italy started to come on as, as the tournament progressed. There was, there was some, some teams you could see that actually clearly looked like they were going to be the favorites or at least in the conversation in a final four, uh, semifinal, uh, situation. In this thing, I don't see anyone. It could be England. It could be Belgium. Belgium looks really good. England looks really good, but they played in a very weak group. The only real test they had was each other. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see them play Colombia, and, and uh, Belgium obviously should easily get past Japan, but we'll get to that point later. Uh, I don't see a clear-cut favorite. So I, if you told me that Colombia is going to win the World Cup, I would not say that you're wrong. If you told me that France was going to win the World Cup, I would say absolutely. Why not? And if you told me that Uruguay was going to win their first title since, what, the 1930s or 40s, whenever it was, fine. I could see Suarez and Cavani taking them there. It, it's it's wide open, Mark. It's wide open. That's what stands out to me about this group stage. Uh, non sequitur, but how have you liked the coverage of this World Cup so far from Fox? Uh, not really a fan of it. Uh, I, I, Alexi Lawless is, is a complete and utter buffoon. And uh, he, he flip-flops on everything. He says one thing one day and then flip-flops on that exact same thing the next. He's not consistent. Uh, I think that there's ESPN's coverage to me in 2014 was much better. I much enjoyed listening to Michael Badak uh, talk about uh, everyone that was playing, especially the German national team. But he had a very good analysis. It just seems like to me that there's... I don't know. It just doesn't. They, they're not. They're not drawing men. It's almost like they're paying to be there. <laughs> it's like it's like you know, it's a job. It's yeah. a gig, and uh, we're, we're 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 getting paid a lot of money to be here in Red Square. But I've honestly, uh, I got to I got to tell you, if it has improved in the last week, 
then that would be news to me. I have honestly tuned out almost all of the analysis uh, and and honestly only listened to the, the commentary has been decent at times. There was one commentator who didn't know what a uh, he was he was calling it a toss in or something instead of uh, a, you know a, a throw in. Yeah, I, I it just you know not knowing proper football or soccer terminology is uh, a, a big faux pas. But uh, the the analysis as far as the halftime analysis. I've muted it honestly. I've I've eaten lunch during that time or, or whatever, and then just gone right back into the place. So I've been I've been very underwhelmed by it. And I, I thought the I think the problem, and this is with Fox in general. Um, Fox does not bring gravitas to sporting events. They're not good at it. Like ESPN, it, they gave it a certain. Um, there was an aura to it when ESPN had it. You have Bob Lee doing the. Doing the studio shows, you have, um, you just, it, it, it felt different, it felt more serious, and it felt more, um, it felt more intellectualized. Fox is just sort of, yeah, you know, we have, we have the tournament, we're gonna have, we're gonna try to have fun, you know, we're not gonna take it too seriously, we're not gonna go into tactics, we're just gonna have, you know, we're just gonna show clips of people celebrating and call that a halftime show. And yes. they fall on that crutch a lot. Um, they they're taking a lot of their stuff from uh, like the you know the FIFA produces things and Fox sort of takes them. They don't do as much of the production side. They don't have as many people in Russia. It just it, it feels like once the United States was eliminated, they really did a a budget cut to sort of make sure that they didn't lose a whole lot of money on it. And it's really sort of made the whole thing suffer, I think. And I will say, though, um, I'm usually not a fan of John Strong, but I think he's been pretty good. I like Stu Holden, even though I don't think he exactly has the best um, announcer voice in the world, but he, he's knowledgeable. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, Stu Holden's been uh, one of the bright spots, actually, yeah. in a very dark dark room. Uh, uh, and, and to your point, actually, about the U.S. national team, you're absolutely right, and I want to say... I don't know who broadcast that USA Costa Rica game back in uh, November when Costa Rica put basically put the exclamation point on USA's. Uh, they weren't technically eliminated by that point, but the handwriting was on the wall. They said that if the U.S. does not qualify, this goes way beyond Christian Pulisic not featuring in a World Cup. This is jobs. This is uh, uh, marketing and, and, and advertisement and media. So it, it, it's a huge, huge economic ramifications around the U.S. not qualifying. So you're absolutely right. I, it, how much money is Fox going to put into it when you basically have commercials in this country? having other countries, basically saying other countries, Belgium, uh, Iceland, U.S., since your team didn't make it, support us. We, you know, we're get, it, it, Volkswagen's done that commercial this obnoxious at this point with the Belgians doing the... Oh, it's, uh, oh, it's, how, it's awful. It, it's it's yeah. awful. It, 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 but, that's, that's usually that's the World Cup. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but that's what it's come to, is basically they, they're, they're saying, we're hey, who Belgium. are going to support, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I think that's some of the dirt worst, um, stereotypical uh -huh. commercial stuff ever. Um, I will say before we get into the round of 16, I give credit to Jorge Perez Navarro, the guy that's doing, that usually does the Mexico games or the, the or the teams with the Spanish, uh, language teams in it. Uh -huh. I think it's been interesting to hear, uh, first, uh, I guess Spanish is obviously his first language. It's interesting to hear him kind of call it in a Spanish style, but in the English language. 
like you you know what I'm talking about, right? Some of the, yes, like, the yes, phraseology yes, yes. he uses is like translated directly from Spanish, so it doesn't always make sense. But yes. I, I do feel like he's been one of the bright spots just because it's an interesting um, it's interesting to listen to that. If, yeah, if, it's a different it's a different spin. It's definitely a different twist. It's that, a style yeah, to it. I, li- yeah. I like it. it. It gives you something interesting to listen to. All right, round sure. of sixteen. Um, the first game will be tomorrow at ten a.m. It's France versus Argentina. To me, this is, I would say it's the game of the, uh, I think it's the game of the round of 16 because you just don't know what's going to happen. I think I have an idea of what's going to happen, but you really don't know for sure. So let's start with France. Um, they've been a little, a little bit underwhelming in Group C, although Group C has been better than, uh, than I think we thought it was going to be. I think the teams are a little more competitive in it. And Argentina, as you said, barely survived. So... The question is, can Didier Deschamps outcoach a team who doesn't have a coach? Mm-hmm. Um, I I would say yes to that, but I also think that the Argentine team is focused solely on basically Lionel Messi, and they, they depend almost at times too heavily on him. I, I thought it was a very ballsy move, by the way, that uh, Aguero was uh, benched for most of the game against Nigeria, especially with them facing elimination, bringing him on late, uh, he didn't score either goal for Argentina in that game, so he, he, he didn't have the impact. You have a player like that that's one of the best players for Manchester City, uh, uh, 100 points in the Premier League this season, you play him, especially when you have one point and you're in the cellar of the group. I, I, I could not believe that he was not on the team sheet when the match started. Anyways, France has better talent than Argentina from 1 through 11. And I think that's where it comes down to. You have uh, Kylian Mbappe, you have a Olivier Giroud, you have, have a Paul Pogba. I, I look for them. France is one of those teams, they kind of remind me of like uh, Italy back in 2006, that like, yeah, we got through the group stage, now it's time to play. Now we're, we're, it's, 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 it's win or go home. I see France probably getting, and I, I think I said this in our World Cup predictions three weeks ago, they're a team I see getting better as the tournament goes on. And you don't want to meet them, especially in the knockout stages. I, I, I think that you have to kind of ignore the form with them. They did what they needed to do. They won the group. And Argentina is very, very shaky right now. So I have France advancing in this game. I have Messi. If he wasn't going to go out in the group stage, I don't have him going anywhere near the final like he did in 2014. I think it's going to be a very disappointing last World Cup for Messi. He exits in the round of 16. Here would be my pushback to that, and I hope you're right because I'm rooting for France. But in that game against Nigeria, I felt like Argentina just as a group decided, we're just not going to worry about anything tactically. We're just going to play really, really hard. We're going to throw our bodies into things. We're going to defend like our hair is on fire. We're going to run really fast, and we're going to just throw everything we have at this and sort of a, make the game a street fight. And I think Nigeria wasn't ready for that. And you could argue that Nigeria, quality-wise, was up there with Argentina in that game. But once the game in the second half became a street fight, Nigeria just couldn't, um, they couldn't answer that. And once Argentina took the lead... Argentina knew exactly what to do. They yeah, iced yeah. that. They put that game on ice exceptionally well. So 
I'm concerned that a France team that doesn't necessarily have the veteran experience of an Argentina, if they get into that type of street fight game and Argentina play with their hair on fire, I'm not sure they can match the intensity. That's the thing with France. They have all the talent. They have all the skill. But for years and years under Didier Deschamps, this team has lacked an intensity. a That World Cup intensity. And that's the difference between this France team and that Italy team of 2006. That Italy team had a hell of a lot of intensity. And in the knockout stages, that's how you have to play. You have to play with that sharp focus, that 90 minutes plus of just energy and violence and just grit. And can France do that? Can France do that for 90 minutes? Can they can they get down and dirty and play a team like Argentina who are going to fight them for every loose ball, who are going to challenge them on every run, that's where I, my concern happens. I think France managed to win this game because I think that they'll do enough, but I'm not sure about that. Uh-huh. I, 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 that's why I think this game is so fascinating, because do Argentina go, well, we got through the group stage, we didn't get completely embarrassed, let's just sort of wind it down here, or do they throw everything they have at it and press France and force France off the ball. That's going to be interesting. I am I think this is the best game of the round of 16 for that reason. Especially based on name recognition, it absolutely is. This is this is normally these two can meet in a World Cup final. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're worthy of that based on name recognition. And a lot of your points absolutely spot on. I just think that if it comes down... It, Gonzalo Higuain can't score five feet in front of the goal, yeah. so you don't have to worry about him. It's basically Aguero and Messi. Uh, Dybala has had no impact whatsoever on this World Cup. Uh, obviously, Mario Cardi hasn't scored any goals. I wonder why that is. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so you're you're you basically based on this t- the team selection every match. You're you're becoming so dependent upon one player, and I you know you look at some of these Argentine players. They're, you know, matches are played on the pitch. They're not played on paper. But if, if France should should uh, overwhelm them, uh, you know. But but you make a great point. France is a finesse team. They're, they are a finesse team, and Argentina is a street fighter. And so that is going to play. If Argentina gets a lead early in this game, France is in deep trouble. Yeah, that it, it it's you know, and this seems pretty stupid to say, but it's who scores first. Yes. Whoever scores first gets to dictate the type of game that it is. If yes. France score first, they can do what they want, which is sit back and counter. If Argentina score first, France are going to have to go for it, and in that case, I think they're in trouble. Um, yep. The second game on Saturday, Uruguay and Portugal, a rock fight if I've ever seen one. Um, yep. Two very, I guess you'd call them, you can call them negative styles. Um, Uruguay is based on... Um, Pretty much impenetrable defense. I don't. I don't think they've given up a goal this whole tournament. And I don't think they have. Portugal no. is based off of get the ball to Ronaldo and have people work around him. Yeah. It's an interesting match. Um, it might not be the most exciting, although sometimes styles do make fights. Um, what happens in this game? Uh, this is another one where I just don't know. I. I it's, well. I'll- 
obviously Suarez and Cavani are. You're very familiar with Cavani, obviously, but yeah. they are they are a threat to score against anyone. Doesn't matter if it's what what badge is on the shirt. Uh, I've seen a little bit of life out of Portugal outside of Ronaldo, Quaresma, João Mario, uh, Rafael Guerrero. I've seen some 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 life outside of just number seven. So it, it, it makes me believe that this might be, you know, Portugal did this in 2016 at the European Championship. Not a very impressive group stage, just enough to get into the final 16, the round of 16 knockout stages. And then they grind and they grind. Uh, you don't want to be 1-1 or nil-nil with Portugal in the 85th minute uh, because that's when CR7 is at his best. And it's just then... That you give up the free kick, he pulls up the shorts and drains it into the top ninety. Um, yeah. So, so I, I, I think uh, if I, if I recall correctly from last night, I have Portugal going through narrowly, yeah. narrowly defeating Uruguay. Is it is it as simple as these two defenses and midfields will negate each other, and Ronaldo would Ronaldo by himself? is better than Suarez and Cavani together? Is it almost that simple? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I it's, it's hard to say that you have two world-class players like Suarez and uh, uh, Cavani who are not as good as Ronaldo, but they're, it's not that they're not as good as it's Ronaldo is better than them in certain situations. And those situations, it's, it's like this, Mark. You know, I sat here and watched that game against Spain, and Portugal were down 2-3, to three, and Spain looked like they were just on absolute cruise control. We've got the lead. These punks are not coming back now. And Ronaldo sits there, closes his eyes, over-dramatizes as he normally does. And I thought to myself, no kidding. I'm not even joking. I said, this damn ball is going in. He's going to score a goal. And they did. He, what a terrible position to score, C, to foul CR7 in. And he, he, he puts, he, he just, he puts the team on his back. And that's where I don't see Cavani and, and Suarez being able to literally put the team on their back in the clutch and being able to deliver like Ronaldo does. He's done it at every level. He's done it with United. He's done it with Real Madrid and he's done it with Portugal. So, yeah, in certain, he's not better than them as a as a whole. He's better than them when it comes down to crunch time. There's no better player in the world than CR7. Yeah, I'm going to take Portugal by a hair. I, I agree with you yeah, there. Yeah, by a hair, yeah. Um, yep. Let's yep. go to the other side of the bracket, which many are calling the weaker side, although I'm not necessarily sure I agree wholeheartedly with that. Spain versus Russia. Now, unless something really surprising happens, I'm pretty sure Spain's going to win. But let's yeah. talk about Spain in a general sense. I don't think they've had the most impressive group stage in the world. I think they looked pretty good against Portugal. They looked a little leaky in the back. Um, they've given up goals to... They gave up uh, two goals to Morocco. Um, they barely beat Iran. So, because they're on this side of the... Bra on the right side of the bracket, I think a lot of people think that they're going to go to the finals or that they're the favorites to... But after they beat Russia, I, I, I'm not sold on them. Uh, they haven't impressed me enough. Yeah, the back four looks very leaky, especially, and that's hard to say with a guy like Sergio Ramos patrolling that back four. Uh, De Gea has made some absolutely baffling uh, decisions, uh, and it just just looked. Just out of sync. I mean, he looked like early David De Gea at Man U when uh, people were questioning whether he had a future at the club. It, it, it's it's 
it's not supposed to be the other way around. As you get older and more experienced, just yeah, that's when you're supposed to morph into Oliver Kahn or you know uh, Manuel Neuer. You're not supposed to uh, regress, and he just looks like he's he doesn't have a lot of confidence. So that's something to keep your eye on. That's something I would be worried about if I was wearing the red shirt uh, of Spain. Uh, besides Russia, you know, I guess you do have to going all the way back to when. You know, they, they, the U.S. qualified for the round of 16 in 1994. You know, they said it was said they'd be one of the hosts that would not advance. And Russia, again, this year was pegged to not advance out of their group. They uh, Many saw Egypt actually advancing along uh, with Uruguay out of that group. And no, nah, Russia, Russia did their part. They um, they had the home the uh, the home crowd behind them. Uh, obviously, they've had some uh, uh, Golovin. This is a guy who's come up and, and uh, stepped up in this World Cup and had a fantastic tournament so far. Scored a lot of goals. Uh, Saudi Arabia, 5-0. You know, you can't put too much stock into that, but it, it is Saudi Arabia after all. But five goals are five goals. It's not going to happen against Spain. It, it, the, the Spain has the uh, experience. They've been here and done that. They also were hungry. They got embarrassed in 2014. Going all the way back to that Netherlands game where they lost five to one, they have some making up to do, and I think they're going to do that. And a lot, of, a lot of these teams we're going to see right now, Mark, whether just surviving the round of sixteen was their goal. Like you know, we're not going to try and be flashy. We're not going to show all of our cards. We're going to get five points or six points, get into the round of sixteen, and now we're going to flip the light switch. So I look for Spain to do exactly that. I, I see a dominant victory in this one over Russia, in um, you know the fashion of three nil, maybe four one. Yeah, I, I don't see any reason why Spain shouldn't run over Russia. I think Russia's been a good story. I think they they had their moments. They made their fans happy. I think most yep. Russians, I think, would take around a 16 game against Spain. I don't think there's a lot of pressure on Russia. I think they're they're going to be happy to be there. They may give them a fight early, but I think Spain overpowers them in the end. Uh, second game on Sunday, um, Croatia, the maybe the best team of this tournament so far. Against Denmark, yes. who got through um, very, playing a very negative style. So you expect a lot of Croatia on the ball. You expect Denmark to sort of sit back and try to hang on. Um, Christian Eriksen can do some things when he's given space. But if this Croatia team is for real, and all indications is that they are, I can't see them losing this game. And I, I feel like they're going to have an opportunity, maybe, well, maybe for the first time since 1998 to make the semifinals. Mm-hmm. I was just going to bring that up. Since 1998, Croatia has been a team that's been on everyone's radar because they knocked out Germany in the quarterfinals to get to the semifinal. Uh, this is probably the best Croatian team in history. You have uh, representatives from Inter Milan. You have representatives from FC Barcelona. You have representatives from Real Madrid. This, this team is loaded. Their first 11 are as good as any other team in the tournament that's still left standing. I think that they have a legitimate shot. If you told me Croatia would win this whole tournament, I would not for one second say anything to the contrary because they have the ability to do it. Uh, Rakitic... And Modric, Modric especially, is playing out of his mind. I mean, he's having himself a fantastic tournament. Ante Rebic, uh, what a month he's had. He, he goes from beating Bayern Munich in the uh, German Cup final, and now he's playing uh, fantastic football for his national team in the World Cup. It, it, you know, uh, Brozovic, who found some new life at Inter Milan under Spalletti, playing the number six role. 
he's 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 been pretty good for uh for for, for this Croatian side. Dejan Lovren, besides that uh, uh handball error he had in the in the other in the match, I believe it was uh, earlier this week. You know, he's been pretty well. He seems to have gotten some confidence back after playing next to VVD up at Liverpool. So he's he's been a uh, you know pretty consistent force back there in that in that back line. I I like everything about this Croatian team. I, I really do from top to bottom. And their midfield is is scary, scary, scary good. Their, so, their midfield might be the best midfield in this tournament. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's agreed, debatable, agreed. but I think they might be. Um, yeah, one so, thing I'll so say I, about I see them absolutely going through. Yeah. Absolutely. One thing I'll say about Croatia, just because I'm I've watched Lee Gun a whole lot, I don't trust Subasic. In a big moment, okay. I'm not sure I trust the guy. He's had some gaffes in his career, and he had the year where they won the championship in Monaco, where he was really good. But I, I, I don't. Um, I think it might be not to bring up, uh, not to rip open an old wound, but um, I feel like it's kind of a Loris Carius situation where he'll play well, but then when the moment really matters, when he has to make the, the saves in a big game, I don't have confidence in him. Besides that, though, I think this Croatian team is just absolutely rock solid. Yeah, and you I agree. can get away, and you can get away with having one flaw if that mm-hmm. one flaw isn't um, attacked and exposed. So we'll see how they they do from here. I like them; they're fun to watch, and I hope they. I hope they. I actually hope they get to the semifinal. I think it would be a great story for them. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a Denmark. Yeah, you're right about Ayrton. Uh, if he gets space, he can create, obviously, uh, one of the cogs in the wheel there with yeah. the Spurs. He's a fantastic player, world class, but by himself, he's got Thomas Delaney, uh, obviously, Josef Polson from RB Leipzig. Martin Braithwaite. Not not huh? Martin Braithwaite. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but this is not an, it's not enough. It's, it's not enough uh, to, to get the job done. Croatia, if they could have pulled somebody else, if, if, if Denmark could have won the group, and, and gone perhaps in, in a different direction. I, I don't know. It's just, this was, Croatia was the one team uh, that, you know, they came out of the group with Argentina, but they were so much better than Argentina as the scoreline proved when they played 3-0. So this is, this is a team I don't want to play right now. Sorry for Denmark, but yeah, I think your days are numbered. Well, on to who I think are the favorites right now. Brazil versus Mexico. Mexico okay. had a very good first two games. They played exactly the way they needed to. They got six points, and then Sweden sort of exposed the Mexico that we saw in the in the friendlies, a team that has a really difficult time scoring from open play, unless yep. they're on counters. And Guillermo Ochoa leads the uh, World Cup with saves. He has 17. Still criminally underrated player. But I see this Brazil team as being the most balanced. I see them having... 11 guys who each sort of fulfill a role. I get that they have injuries, but I think Douglas Costa is going to be back for the quarterfinals. Uh, I would rest Marcelo in this game. I don't think he's necessarily needed against Mexico. I think uh, Philippe Luiz will do just fine for them. And they, they just seem like the most complete uh, together team in this whole thing. So I, I see them getting past Mexico. I think Ochoa will stand on his head. But I see something like a 2-0 or a 3-0. Brazil right now are starting to click. Um, Neymar is getting better as this tournament goes on. And they have, I think, the most to prove of anybody. So uh, just talk about Brazil. I, I think 
I think right now you have to call them the favorites. Maybe even if by default, but I still think you call them the favorites. Yeah, so I think this is honestly becoming the tournament of Philip Coutinho and not Neymar. He's been nothing short of fantastic, talking about ripping up old wounds. Uh, that, that certainly hurts to see him play at this elite of a level. Uh, obviously, one of, you see more of him and Bobby, Bobby Firmino out there because I think that those two, uh, just from the, uh, the, the time they spent in Liverpool would, 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 you know, kind of recreate that magic, if you will, for Brazil. But, uh, you know, Bobby should get his chance. Uh, Coutinho's been, been fantastic and he, he has that, that, that rare, that rare, uh, talent to be able to basically do with the ball as he pleases. Uh, de- unbelievably deadly from free kicks. Yeah, you're right. They're, this is a team that's loaded at every position. Obviously, they are pretty much every year. Uh, it really comes down to the gelling of the team and the chemistry they have. And I do see a, a, a tremendous amount of improvement from this side over the 2014 team that got humiliated in their, uh, home country. So, yeah, they're, they're, Coming together, obviously the 1-1 with Switzerland kind of slow out the gates, and you've seen uh, a, a, a slight uh, form improvement as each game has come, actually each half. They've looked better in each half. So, uh, yeah, the last uh, 180 minutes of football with drastic improvement over the first 90. So they are, in fact, I, I don't want to say they're the favorites because I'm going to stick with my thing that anybody and everybody can win this, but... They are definitely one of the top five. I would say that uh, if I was a betting man, that I would put my money on to make it to the to, to the uh, semifinal. One of the one of them, obviously, those five would get left out. But uh, and, and the other side, Mexico, uh, they've met before Brazil. They've met Mexico before in the round of sixteen, and it didn't turn out well then. It's not going to turn out well now. Again, they they've obviously, you said, made their fans happy. Uh, as you said with Russia earlier, well, Mexico's done the exact same. I don't know how what the expectations were. For them going into a group with Sweden and Germany, uh, I think that they thought it was a very realistic possibility they would be on the on the way home right now. Uh, the fact that they are not is an achievement in and of itself. They played extremely great football through, uh, let's say, 200 plus minutes, and as you said, Sweden completely opened them up. I mean, uh, slash gashed, whatever you want to call it. That's game film that uh, Brazil might want to watch because it really does expose. Uh, some glaring weaknesses in the Mexico defense, as well as, as you said, unless it's a counterattack, they are not going to produce a lot of goals. Uh, again, scoring is South Korea. Um, you know, looked like a struggle. The German goal was obviously a counter. It was a counterattack. You know, they got Neuer on the break. It, this, their, their open play is just, it, it's not, it doesn't look cohesive. It doesn't look fluid. So, Against the Brazil side that has, like you said, a chip on their shoulder, mm, it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I, I see Brazil. I see Brazil as just they're, they're they're perfectly designed. You have Casemiro who can sit in front of the back too and help out defensively. You have Paulinho who can play box to box. He can be physical. He can get he can get his own goal if he ha- he can get goals if he has to. He can he can go back and defend. Coutinho sort of sitting in the middle and helping sort of create through the middle. He's playing more of a 10 right now. Neymar's off on the wing. He's making runs to open up the middle. Um, Willian could be better, but he's not... Um, I don't think he's actively taking away from what they want to do. And whether it's Jesus or Firmino, I think Firmino could be a, really effective for them. But even if Jesus is not scoring goals, he's at least moving and creating space. So yeah. you just have a team that's really well thought out and constructed. And 
as opposed to sort of some of these teams that look like you're just throwing the 11 best guys out there and seeing what happens. Um, Belgium and Japan. Japan getting by on fair play points. They played fairer than Senegal, apparently, so they are now into the round of 16. And they will play a Belgium team who has also been incredibly impressive. Um, unless Japan can really um, pull off a miracle, I think this may be one of the more lopsided games of, this, of the round of 16, that alongside Spain and Russia. Um, Belgium should go through. But how, what is Belgium's ceiling? We talked about, we've talked about them for years and years as a team that had the potential to win European and, and World Trophies. Have they finally matured like a fine wine? Have they finally gotten to that point where they're ready to do what they need to do to win a major tournament? Yeah, I think so. We talked about them in 2014 as a dark horse, and they had at that time, obviously, I believe, uh, Christian Benteke was the primary uh, target man up front. Now you have Romelu Lukaku, you have uh, Mishi Bachwai, who had a fantastic second half of the season for Bruce Dortmund. You already have Kevin De Bruyne in 2014, who's now a, a an improved player over what he was then. He's just gotten massively better. He's world class uh, for you know quite a few seasons now. Going back to his days in Wolfsburg, he was already starting to show what he now has displayed at Manchester City. Eden Hazard, nothing really needs to be said about him. He was, uh, you know, Premier League champion just, just a year ago with Chelsea. A uh, guy uh, is a danger on every time he touches the ball. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a really kind of funny thing that you have uh, the black, red, and gold, not of Germany, but of Belgium now, I think, that uh, could be, could be one of the favorites to, to, to as I said with Croatia, um, based on their 1 through 11, they have just, they're just loaded at every position. They have a, a fantastic midfield. Their attack is, is brilliant. Kevin De Bruyne, obviously one of the best creators on the ball of any player, maybe the best in the world, but, uh, he at any given point can take over a match and he is just, a once a once in a generation type talent, uh, and he's still. I don't think what is he just twenty five or twenty six. Yeah, so he's got old. more. Yeah. He's got more European championships and World Cups yet ahead. So it's it's it's. This is kind of like that golden generation. They talk about the golden generations of certain teams. This is the Belgian golden generation. This is this is their opportunity. They have basically this World Cup and maybe the next to get the job done. Uh, to bring home a trophy to that country. And it's, it would, I, I think honestly would be well deserved because this isn't a team, uh, that, that has, you know, like a, uh, one of these, these lesser European sides, we'll say, like, like Portugal, even though the European champions, we know it's all about CR7. We, we, we all know that it's a surprise there. Belgium can hurt you from any position, literally. They're just that good. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of Bundesliga players for Japan. They have a, a, a lot of uh, German top-tier experience on that side. Uh, but yeah, it, it's not going to help them. They, they may, it may be, um, it may be close for 20, 25 minutes. But I, I, I see Belgium taking the lead, and once they get that one-nil, it's, it's going to be downhill from there. I think this is an easy three-nil uh, or three-one. They cruise into the quarterfinals. I've enjoyed watching uh, Romelu Lukaku in this tournament. I think he's been, I think he's been the best pure nine we've seen. I, I think he's been better than the goal burglar, and uh, oh yeah, I yeah. think he's been better than the goal burglar, which is my uh, <laughs> my new name for Harry Kane. I'm just going to call oh, him that from now on. <laughs> um, so I, 
I, I think they're good. I think Hazard's doing his job. I think, as you said, not more you can say about De Bruyne. He's one of the best uh, attacking midfielders on the planet. And it's a decent back line. It, it, it's a solid team overall. The question is, if they run up against Spain or Colombia in the uh, in these in these knockout rounds, can they sort of match that experience? Can they rise to the occasion? It's one of those things, kind of like um, the Philadelphia Eagles or the Chicago Cubs, where it's like, yeah, they can probably win it, but you'll believe it when you see it. Right. Like I won't believe they can do it until I see them actually holding up the trophy. Um, exactly. On to Tuesday's games, Sweden versus Switzerland, two similar type of teams, organized. I think Switzerland has more talent, but they may not have the better mentality. Um, Sweden is proving that leaving uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic in L.A. was a good deal. I think they deserve to win Group F, and if it wasn't for a Tony Kroos free kick, they may have had seven points and won that group. I've been impressed with Sweden. They, they they just do the job they need to do. They're organized. They're compact. They can counter. They got a little bit of clinical class in the final third. And I'm not sure I'm totally sold on Switzerland being able to beat them. Switzerland have that talent, but Sweden are going to give them a game. They're going to get that's going to be a real difficult game for Switzerland to open up. We say this about Switzerland every year. They seemingly always finish second in the group, and they get to the round of 16, and it's usually this part of the tournament where they disappoint us uh, because I think a lot of people do root for them. Some good talent there, Braylon Bolo, Jordan Shakiri, uh, Seferovic. Um, they they just don't seem to have that, that final uh, ingredient in the recipe to get into the deep stages of this tournament. And as you said, Swiss, uh, Sweden right now, uh, based on form, they've got it going on. They, they, I mean, you know, like you said, very unlucky against Germany. Obviously, Tony Kroos uh, pulled a pulled a rabbit out of the hat on that one. Easily could have been one one. They get seven points. They win the group, uh, you know, pretty easily at that point. They honestly, the way Sweden's been playing, they could have gotten nine points. I mean, so uh, you know, they really for large stretches of that match outplayed Germany. So I think this is the toughest one to call for me out of all eight. Uh, round of 16 matches. This is this is the one that, if you look at it, probably on paper, maybe most the most evenly matched. But um, I, I I cannot go back on what I said last night. If I say it on my show, I have to say it on yours. I have Switzerland going through by a whisker. Yeah, uh, this is one of those flip a coin games. Um, yeah. Sw- Sweden have Grenfist and um, and if Emil Forsberg shows up, he really has. Yeah. And that's the thing. They've been doing this without a good Emil Forsberg. Yeah. So, you know, kudos to what Sweden have been able to do here. It, it's really been um, it's really been spectacular. Um, the final round of 16 game, it's Colombia versus the Frauds. I mean, so, <coughs> sorry, um, oh, versus England. Oh, my goodness. What is up with the England? I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to say that out loud. Um, it's Colombia versus England. Um, who do you got? Well, I asked this question last night. And I had to I had to form it in two different ways because they because I first said is he the is he the most dangerous and they said well, what do you mean by most dangerous is 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 Harry Kane the most goal scoring the biggest goal scoring threat left in this tournament and I think uh, we had some uh, genuine agreement on that that he quite frankly could be because he has he's the complete package 
He can score from from uh, from 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 a, from a corner. He he's his positioning is outstanding. His finishing is clinical. He can beat you on the break. He can beat you in the box. He knows exactly seemingly where to be and when to be there. His heading is second to none. He I was already scored goal all based coming off of a header. Dead ball situations for England are scary if you're the opposition because of number nine. I I like this England squad. I hated them before the tournament. I thought this was a, a sham of a team that Southgate put together. And as they've played, I've I've grown. They've grown on me, and they've kind of become my second team now that Germany's been eliminated. I really kind of uh, I don't know whether it's me feeling sorry for them after you know disappointment since 1966, but I I really. They, 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 they've grown on me, and I, I, I like what England's done. On the flip side of that, Colombia's been not that impressive. I, I, they, went, they went down to 10 men, obviously, three minutes into this entire tournament, got beat by Japan 2-1, deservedly got beat by Japan 2-1, had to crawl themselves out of uh, some some pretty, pretty bad uh, situations there after uh, the first match day, and... You know, they, they, they crawled and, and, and scratched and clawed their way into group winners, but uh, I think they're the weakest group winners that uh, are currently still standing. I have to go with the trend is your friend, as they say a lot of times uh, in, in football terms. England, to me, are riding a, a positive wave of momentum, and it's rare that we say that about them. England usually has to scratch and claw their way into the round of 16, where they will then be promptly eliminated by someone like Ghana or somebody like that. This is uh, this is a different English team. I think the fact that they got rid of some of the um, the egos like Wayne Rooney and the whole Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard debacle where they couldn't play together, they did they're just a, a tactical breakdown that these two world-class players from Liverpool and Chelsea could not coexist. Getting that out of the way, they, they seem more free-flowing. I've been impressed by Trippier. I've been impressed by Trent Alexander-Arnold. Obviously, Jordan Henderson's been fantastic in midfield. Uh, uh, there's no bias there at all, by the way. And, yeah, I, I, I love, uh, besides what Raheem Sterling, the, 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 the crap sandwich that he put together in the first match against Tunisia, I, they've been they've been pretty damn good. I think yesterday you can't, you know, take that with a grain of salt with the Belgium match. Um Look, both were both were done. They were through into the round of sixteen. It's, it, there wasn't a lot on the line. It's, it just depends on which which opponent you want. And and uh, you know, I think England would have probably taken Japan, so they probably do kind of regret losing that now. But I like England in this one. I, I really do. I I, I think that they're, they're as I said, a rare positive wave of momentum for this country going into a knockout stage of a World Cup. Normally, it's all negative, but but I've heard nothing but good things coming out of the England camp and from their fans. They've really, they, they've got, the fans have got their back. And that's another thing I can't always say that I've heard uh, when it came to the three Lions. They've, they've usually gotten a bunch of negative publicity uh, or negative criticism from coming from, 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 you know, from home. And um, yeah, the, it's, it's, it's all smiles right now. i got to go with England into the quarterfinals. So let me ask you, were you yeah. convinced after they barely beat Tunisia in the 90th minute? with a wide-open header, or after they beat a Panama team that's given up 10 goals in the tournament? Um, I'm, Which I, one of I, those I, convinced you that England was for real? The Tunisia header in the in the 90th, 91st minute, because normally England does not, England doesn't score that goal. Normally it ends 1-1. Uh, they, 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 you know, I remember in the World Cup, was it 2010 or 2014? It was 2010 where they played the United States, 
And everyone said, you know, England's going to destroy the United States. They they haven't lost to the U.S. What was it since 1950s in a competitive tournament? Yeah. And and of course they draw. Of course they don't win because they're England. England doesn't win games against Tunisia in the 91st minute. So, yeah, the Panama game, 6-1, I don't care about all those goals. At the end of the day, it was Panama. The fact that they were found themselves in a situation where they were up against adversity and they had to persevere and they had to actually come through in the clutch, that's what, that's what Cristiano Ronaldo does. England does not do that. Harry Kane scoring that goal, to me, lifted a massive 300-pound weight off of so many shoulders wearing that, that, that red shirt that day. And it kind of, it kind of, uh, uh, to me, symbolized, yeah, we can still win. We can believe, believe, believe. You know, it's not over until it's over. And and they showed that. And England has consistently been unable to show that uh, in, in in a number of World Cups, going all the way. I guess you could go back to 1990 and the semifinal loss to Germany when they when they couldn't pull it out. But it's just it's just been nothing but disappointment. And in matches where they are always supposed to be the favorites. They somehow either lose or draw. And this one I'm honestly saying our favorite. And it's not looking like for many, many uh, minutes of that match, they did what they had to do. Good teams find a way to win, and they did that. And here's what I'll say. England have a better mentality than they've had in the past. Yes. I, I agree with that. But I genuinely, looking at this matchup, think it is a terrible matchup for England for a couple of reasons. One, if James Rodriguez is healthy, England do not have a player of that caliber in their midfield to neutralize him. They just don't. They're not that type of team yet. Secondly, Colombia have a lot of speed off the wings, and England aren't necessarily... I still don't necessarily see them as a solid defensive team yet. And... Honestly, if Colombia does not get that red card in the first three minutes against Japan, they probably have nine points out of this group. They demolished Poland. They wore down Senegal. I look at Colombia right now as the type of team that Argentina was in 2014. Okay. I think they have, they have guys about at the right age. They've played together long enough. You don't have a bunch of superstars, but you have a cohesive team that I think has a fight and a spirit to them. And England is still young. They've never been in a dogfight. So, as I said about um, Belgium, I'll wait till I see it. I have to see this England team win a dogfight before I go, okay, they can survive it. Because it's one thing to do it in the group stage. It's another to play in a knockout game for your lives Colombia's going to be running around with their hair on fire. They're going to be challenging everything. They're going to be doing what Argentina's going to do to France. And can England match that intensity? That's a real question, and I think it hasn't been answered. So I could see you picking England. I just wouldn't have the confidence in it until I see them really step up in that situation and handle it. If they do, well, I just told you. I just told you they want a dogfight against Tunisia. It, it's not the same thing. It's not <laughs> the know, same thing, though. Know, it's not I even know, remote, know You know that. It's not remotely yeah, the yeah. same thing. But in this case, they go down one nil to Colombia. What do they do? What do they do? I'm I'm interested to see that. I need to see that before I can uh, not call them frauds. If they can do that against Colombia, 
hey, sky's the limit. They can get to the semis. They can maybe even get to the finals, but they got to do that first. It would be in their best interest to not go down one nil to Columbia. Yes, it would be in their best interest. Yes, Uh, so I think that I think that they need to approach this match not with the mentality of let's keep it close. I think they need to be the aggressors because yeah, Columbia. I I just you know, yeah, there's talent there. I I I, you know, you you said a couple things about Senegal. I didn't rate Senegal very high in this tournament. I also did not rate Japan very high in this tournament. So. They, Colombia also has to still show me something. I, and, and, and one of these two teams is going to show us something because I think that this is, this is a matchup of, you know, two teams with six points that maybe, uh, we still have a lot of proving to do. And so someone's going to prove that they belong in the final eight and someone's going to prove that they, they deserve to go home. So this is a big match for both of these. And, and that's why I think it's so intriguing is, is the fact that, uh, you know, it's, as you said, it's not the best matchup for England. But it, it kind of is in the fact that if they can beat Colombia, it's only going to add to their confidence. And they need confidence. They're riding a wave right now, like I said, positive momentum. If they can beat Colombia, then, then they, they keep that ball rolling. So that's, this, this is huge. Them beating Japan, it's an easy slot in the round of, uh, the, uh, quarterfinals. But that doesn't, you didn't, you didn't beat anybody. If you beat Colombia, you beat, as you said, you, whether it's a dogfight or not, no matter what the score is, if England advances, that's massive for their, for their self-esteem. Christopher Smith, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. So, for Christopher Smith, this has been um, PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon saying au revoir for now.